Welcome into Devil's Talking Padres. A little bit of a different setup for me this time, but it's Dominic Stern and Bobby Murphy here to talk about the latest in Padres baseball. Padres just took three to four from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Happy campers here in Arizona reporting to you from Tempe. Bobby, how are you doing today on the Sunday? I'm doing good, Dom. A fun day of football and now talking about some Padres baseball, but yeah, unfortunately, I was not able to go to the games this weekend due to work and Thursday night football, but I know you were able to go to 304 and it, great series. I mean, after losing the first game, the Padres totally bounced back Friday, Saturday, Sunday, took three much needed wins because that series win here was huge and ending on three straight really gives them momentum going into a big series against St. Louis on Tuesday. But yeah, pitching staff looked great the last few games and the offense totally turned it on in a few of those games. But yeah, great series win for the San Diego Padres. Really hope that off day that the Padres will get on Monday before facing the Cardinals, which we'll preview in a couple of minutes, doesn't derail the momentum that the Padres have built. Haven't been on like any really long winning streaks. It's all about whether or not these teams can sustain it. And we know that the Padres have been able to sustain this, you know, good baseball haven't really played great baseball for a long stretch, but those last three games in Arizona were as good of baseball as the Potters have played all year, uh, only allowed seven runs all series and three runs the last three games. And one of them was in the ninth inning when Adrian Morajon just, they, they just said, all right, Morajon, go out there. And then, I mean, a couple more runs were also scored in the ninth inning when Craig Stammen came in. So it's really garbage time runs, but the Padres looked Really good. Really walked away satisfied. And, you know, once again, I mean, I'll say it. I, I believe, I believe the Potters are making the playoffs. And, you know, there's been a lot of other people in the fan base and even some people that do their shows and are in the media that have been extremely pessimistic about the Potters' playoff chances. And you and I have been on here saying, no, they're, they're going to make it. This team has the pieces and, they haven't clicked yet, but they haven't fallen apart. And the one thing that I will say is every time Bob Melvin has called out this group, they have immediately, it's not like a couple of games later, like a week later, they have immediately responded. And it just kind of shows you that when Bob Melvin says something, he's not messing around and the Potters take him very seriously. And it's been well-documented. And we know how good the talent on this team is in both the lineup, the pitching staff, and of course, in in the lineup, the rotation, and of course, the bullpen. But overall, this team, top to bottom, should be in the playoffs this year and next year, and whatever pieces come back. This roster overall is a is a playoff team. And over the last week, I mean, I was getting a little nervous. Of course, the Brewers were right behind the Padres, a game, a game and a half behind. But Padres aren't worrying about other teams. Aren't they? Aren't scoreboard watching? They're just worrying about themselves. And they won three straight to end this series. And Hopefully they can get this momentum and keep it going. I mean, a lot of guys in this series had a great series. Soto had had two great games. Brandon Drury finally returned and had the first two games of the series. He had a great, great first half of the series, of course, with the two home runs in one of the games. But overall, I mean, the pitching staff the last few games looked amazing. We'll talk about them each in a sec. But yeah, overall, just a really exciting series. And I, I was I wish I could could have been able to go to some of those. But I'm glad that the Padres were able to take three out of four. We'll talk about the first game first and why it was so bad. And then we'll talk about the next three. Uh, another instance of the Padres facing a rookie, didn't know anything about him, and they got 
crushed. It, it was hard to watch. Dre Jamison uh, has really talented has a really talented arm. Has a lot of really good stuff. And the Padres were just overwhelmed because they didn't know what to do. And it was frustrating because there's been so many other pitchers that come out and make their debuts and other teams just are prepared for it. And the Padres just weren't. And it was the first time since I believe 2002 when the Tigers did it, that a pair of teammates made their major league debuts in the same season through seven scoreless innings. And the fact that it happened both times against the San Diego Padres was pretty alarming. And also Diamondbacks, like their last seven guys to make their pitching debuts have all been against the Padres and every single one of them has gotten a win. It's just bizarre. And I'm not sure what to make of it, but it's just weird because this stuff doesn't happen regularly to other teams, but to the Padres, it does happen. It was an awful offensive performance, just three hits two of which were from Brandon Drury, a chopper up the middle, a ball to the wall, which was a good hit, and then a Ha-Sung Kim skyscraping chopper that ended up beating out the first. It was bad, and it wasn't like there were hard hit outs. There were a couple of them. A shot of flow to the wall, Kernelworth lined out to center, but that was really it. It was an awful performance, and I'm not exactly sure what Bob Melvin said in the clubhouse, but it was warranted, and it eventually worked. And it was good. It was good to have Drury back in the lineup. Finally, he was a good spark in the lineup for this entire series, and he's a bat that the Padres lineup has definitely been missing over the last few weeks, over the last week or two with his concussion. But Shamanaya, he didn't have an, a bad start. Five innings, two runs, both of which were solo home runs in the fourth inning. Not the, not a bad start from him, but I would like to see him do better. But I mean, with his last few starts and having having him back in the rotation, it was a good step. It was a good step in the right direction for him, but. The bullpen, I mean, pitched a few innings, three innings, allowed two runs. Suarez was able to work out of a jam. Nick Martinez allowed a solo home run. Stephen Wilson allowed a run. And then Luis Garcia came in and was able to finish the inning. But, yeah, this, it was just, the lineup was just absolutely awful today. I mean, you mentioned it. Troy and Kim, the only guys with hits. Soto 0 for 4 with 2Ks. Manny 0 for 4. Padres struck out six times in this game, so they weren't really striking out. but. What was alarming was just the one walk. Only drawn one one walk against a guy making his MLB debut is not good. And they should have been able to be more patient. I know it's a guy making his first career start and you just want to be aggressive and go and go for it. But that's, there's some times when you just have to be so disciplined and it's a new guy and just work the bases and then pile hits on him. But I mean, I get that that, that they didn't have a lot of information on the pitcher. I, like making his debut, they don't know anything about him, but that's one reason why I understand that he had a great start, but it's like you said, it's weird that the Potters are the teams that just keep getting shut down by these rookies making their debut. And there's no way, there's no reason that the Potters should have gone shut down by another rookie making his debut. <laughs> but they turned around facing a familiar face in Madison Bumgarner, who the Potters just continue to crush. You got to pray for the Padres that the Diamondbacks do not move on from Madison Bumgarner either via a trade or just straight up release him because he's been bad and the Padres have been really good against him. Crushed him. Brandon Drury hit two moonshots off of him. Really encouraging to see the Padres' offense really attack him. Uh, and, you know, 
it's a big drop off going from a guy that throws 97 with a couple off speeds to Madison Bumgarner, who throws a fastball, a cutter, and a curveball, and really old school stuff. But for the Potters to turn around and immediately put up a big offensive game like that was extremely, extremely encouraging to watch. And then you see Blake Snell go out there and have a really, really good start. Seven innings, just one run. Christian Walker hit a home run off him, ended up hitting another one later in the game off Craig Stammen. Snell's the number two. I mean, we talked about on the last podcast, you Darvish is the one. He proved it again on Sunday. And you said, I'm not sure I 100% feel confident in someone to say that the number two. And I, I immediately said, no, Snell's the number two. And I feel like he proved kind of why he is that number two. But in the same aspect, we're also going to talk about Joe Musgrove and how he had a good start on Saturday. Snell went out there and shoved, kept the bullpen rested, and the offense went to work. Perfect recipe. And everyone in the lineup was hitting, was hitting in this game, 17 total hits. Looks like everyone in the starting lineup had a hit, but five guys with multiple hits, Soto with two, Drury with two, of course, both solo home runs, Kim with three, Zokar with three, and Austin Ola with two. So bottom of the order is looking great. Kim with three runs, but overall top to bottom, this was just a great performance by the Padres lineup. And then Blake Snell, you mentioned it, the number two starter for this team in a, in a possible wildcard round. But a lot, of, a lot of fans could say Musgrove, could say Snell. I would agree with you, and I'm going to go Snell because he's shown a lot more consistency over the second half for this Padres team, and he's pitching a lot lot better baseball than Musgrove, who has also been heating up a little bit. Of course, we'll talk about his last start in this series in a sec, but seven innings, four hits, one run, seven strikeouts, and zero walks for Snell. He looked really good, and the only run was on a solo home run, but Adrian Marajon pitched the eighth inning, and he looked really good. Twelve pitches, nine of those were strikes. Got a one, two, three inning, so he looked really good, and then Stamon came in, and of course the game was way over by then, but he didn't look great, allowed a home run, two runs, and three hits in the ninth. But at that point, it didn't matter. Good to see Stamon back on the mound, but great win for this Padres team from top to bottom. Six for 13 with runners in scoring position as well. So just a really clutch hitting from the, this Padres team. And Stamon's not going to be a guy that's going to pitch in a meaningful inning in the postseason. If he does, it's going to be because the Padres like, were in an extra inning thriller or something like that. So seeing him come in in a mop-up role, which is what he's going to be and not do all that well. And never, never, sorry to interrupt. Never forget what Stamon did for this Padres team in game three, though. That that was 100%. That, one of, for, of course, both of us and all Padres fans, one of the best Padres moments for any of us ever. So shout out to Stamon for that, of course. Yeah, it was the Jace Tingler game, if you want to award one with him just pulling the right strings and the Padres using nine pitchers to shout out the Cardinals in game three. And hopefully they can work some of that magic. Uh, the Padres have won five straight against the Cardinals at Petco. Um, they've lost at least six straight in St. Louis, uh, which is a very, very possible destination for them in the playoffs. So obviously we're not talking about that right now, but yeah, you, you mentioned it. Joe Musgrove was really good in game number three, six innings, no runs. And the Potters offense didn't do a whole lot, but Zach Gallon has been absolutely unbelievable. And none of his starts have been against the Padres. Potters fans got to see how good Zach Gallon is. I've been a huge Zach Gallon believer ever since I've been out here at Arizona State. I've seen him pitched here a ton. He's really good. He's finally been showcasing that. And holy moly, he was good. 
Joe Musgrove was a little bit better and the Potters offense did just enough. And how about Luis Campusan? Has him playing a whole lot, has a really ugly swing, says, you know what, just going to shake it off, forget about it. And then hits a nice big home run to give the Potters a nice insurance run uh, on a fastball above 95 miles an hour. The Potters have the least home runs on pitches above 95 miles an hour in all of baseball, which is a really concerning statistic, but was really good to see that home run from Campusano. And once again, Josh Hader comes in, gets the save. He's back. Uh, I, I would argue that Juan Soto's back after this really impressive series. Brandon Drury is literally back uh, from his injury uh, and had a really good series. It's really just about getting Josh Bell and then maybe Jake Cronenworth. Uh, Hassan Kim has really not been hitting that well. And then there's home run off Carson Kelly, Diamondbacks catcher. But the Padres are really starting to, I think, kick it in. So we saw a lot of the guys who had been struggling start to get going in this three-game series. It was really encouraging. And this game really scared me coming into it. I mean, Musgrove and Gallon going to be a low-scoring game. And Padres looked really good against Gallon. Four hits, true three walks, and five and a third inning from Gallon. Of course, Campisano's home run. And two runs was enough in this game with Musgrove pitching, of course. But they showed great discipline against Gallon in this series. Or sorry, in this game. And, I mean, Caleb Smith looked really good. He went two and two-thirds shutouts to really just keep the game close. And Melanthon pitched the ninth shutout. But onto the Padres pitching – Musgrove looked amazing. Eight strikeouts, shutout in six innings. Nick Martinez looked phenomenal. 15 pitches over two innings with two strikeouts and 12, 12 strikes over those 15 pitches. And then Josh Hader, again, allowing the time plate, uh, again, allowing the time run to get to the plate, but he was able to work through it. He was, his command was looking really good. He was hitting the spots, got one strikeout, only pitched two balls on 15 pitches. And my favorite part from this entire game was from the Padres pitching staff, zero walks allowed. They were really just hitting the strike zone, hitting their spots, and they looked really good. But yeah, only two runs in this game. Kim with a good sack fly, just clutch hitting, situational hitting for Kim there in the fourth inning. And then Campusano's home run, but great 2 0 one for the Padres here. And yeah, I agree with you. Looks like Josh Hader's back. Even if he's allowing a guy to get on base, I think maybe his last two, he's allowed the time run to get up to the plate. But Overall, Hader's been looking good. He's heating up, and this is a great one for the Padres. Yeah, Hader hasn't really been the extremely dominant guy over the last couple of outings that we saw in Milwaukee where he'd come in and strike out at least two and not allow any base runners, but starting to really get the command back for his fastball. The slider command is still not there, but that fastball is lively and starting to really see it. I think it's an incredibly encouraging sign. And then... In the series finale, facing Ryan Nelson, who is the first of the two Diamondbacks rookies to throw seven scoreless against the Padres. That was a couple weeks ago. And the Padres, I was very confident, said on this podcast, you know, they have seen him now. They will hit him. And it's exactly what they did. Went out, just bashed him. And unfortunately, he had to leave the game because Brandon Drury literally hit him. But uh, I just incredibly encouraging performance. Machado. It's a home run. Juan Soto hits a home run. They manufactured a run. It was really, really good stuff. And I, I, I can't applaud the Padres anymore. You Darvish works six innings, scoreless. Could have worked a little bit deeper if he didn't make an error and then really have to sweat out a bases loaded jam. But he was incredible. Also got squeezed a little bit uh, to ruin his perfect game. And then he had to start worrying about runners. And that's not something Darvish is great with. Um, 
just really good stuff. Darvish continues to be incredible. The offense had a good game, was able to manufacture runs and hit home runs. Juan Soto did his first home run in 17 games. Just impressive stuff from the Padres to take a series and they put the game away. Really, really good stuff. Cause even when they'd been winning, they my two runs, three runs, and you got to sweat it, especially with how the closing situation's been. No, they got ahead and they kept building on the lead. That was the best thing about it. And this overall is just a great win all around for this Padres team. Of course, with the early runs going up 2 0 in the first and then being up 4 0 by the fifth inning. But Scoring the first six runs of this game, I mean, shutting out the Diamonds, Diamondbacks to the first eight innings. But you said it, Darvish looks really good. Six innings shutout, eight, six innings shutout, only one hit, one walk, and eight strikeouts. And we've been, or mostly you, but we've been saying over the last few episodes that Darvish will be the Padres' number one starter in a potential wild card series. So he looks really good. Robert Suarez struck out two over an inning. And then Adrian Brown pitched the last two innings, allowed one run, but he looked, he didn't look bad, but allowed two hits zero walks and one run. So not the worst appearance from Murray home, but good to see him work more than one inning again. And then you have the lineup, of course, Soto Machado with the home runs and Soto was the only guy with multiple hits in this game, but the Padres were able to draw five walks, five, five different guys each drew a walk in this game. So again, great discipline from the Padres in the series as they were able to be patient, were able to be patient after that Thursday game and draw walks and get, just get guys across. Azucar had a great series, and he's been really good ever since the Padres recalled him up. And the last two games, he was starting, and it wasn't like what we've seen where they've been starting him against left-handed pitchers. He was starting against righties, and I'm as big of a Trent Grisham fan, I think, as it really is at this point. But the way Azucar's playing, he's been better than Trent Grisham, and you got to keep running him out there. He's not as good defensively as Grisham because really no one is. Uh, especially in the NL. There's some really good AL center fielders. But the way that he's swinging the bat, he's putting the ball in play. His speed is making infielders make the plays. And he's starting to show some pop. He's not hit a home run yet, but starting to hit the ball harder uh, using the entire field, which is something he's always really done. But hitting the ball to the wall in right field, like that's even when Machado does that, I'm like, oh, good swing. But as Ocar does that, I'm like, Nice. All right. That, that, that's, that's really good. So I think that's another encouraging thing. Is I don't want to say the emergence of Jose Azokar because that was kind of earlier in the season, but he's really solidifying his spot on this Padres team. And I mean, it's all about winning and you got to kind of put the hot hand. Another thing we talked about momentum earlier in this podcast, is he going to be able to sustain it? Uh, is the day off going to ruin that? I sure hope not, but That'll be something interesting to follow as we look ahead to the series against the St. Louis Cardinals. Three-game series starting Tuesday, running through Thursday at Petco Park. It is the second-to-last homestand of the season as it'll be just a quick three-game set before the Potters go on the road for three games. And then they will finish the season with nine straight home games. Uh, Certainly an opportunity for the Potters to play at home where they haven't been great, but it's an opportunity to go home and really just get settled in before you eventually and hopefully make the playoffs and play on the road. But we'll start with the starting pitching. If you look on ESPN, it's got three guys, but it hasn't updated because we saw Jeff Sanders tweet out before the game, what the Padres are going to be rolling with. 
It's going to be Clevenger on Tuesday, Snell on Wednesday, and Musgrove on Thursday because Manaya is going to get skipped so that way they can throw him against the Rockies and have him avoid pitching against the Dodgers, which I think is a great strategy. What do you think about that, and what do you think about the three guys the Padres are rolling out against the Cardinals? Yeah, to start off with Manaya, you mentioned he'll be starting against the Rockies. It will be in Coors. He may get rocked. He'll probably get rocked, but I'd much rather see someone else pitch against the Dodgers than Sean Manaya, of course. That is the main reason why Manaya was moved to the bullpen to skip a starter, too, because he really just cannot get anything done against the Dodgers. But yeah, for this series, with Mike Clemson starting the first game, I mean, he's been having a really tough month of, of September so far. Three starts, he hasn't gone past the six. He hasn't pitched into the sixth inning yet, and he hasn't gone past the sixth inning yet, and he's been allowing a lot of home runs, six home runs over 13 and a third in the month of September over his last three starts, but he's really been struggling going against the Dodgers twice and the Mariners once. So good teams in their good lineups, but his worst start of those three was against, or probably was against the Mariners and going into that, that series we're talking about Clevenger, how he won't be facing the Dodgers, hoping he'd be able to bounce back, but he really struggled just allowing a lot of hits. The long ball killed him in that game, allowing three home runs in his last start, but I would love to see Clevenger bounce back. As for Blake Snell, Two of his last three starts, or three of his last four, have been phenomenal. Of course, we just talked about the last one against the Diamondbacks, seven innings, one run. Before that, I mean, he's been mowing down this D-backs lineup over his last two starts. But in there, in his last few starts, a Dodgers blip. I don't call it a blip, but it's the Dodgers lineup. And then shutting down the Giants over six innings. But, yeah, Snell's been pitching some really good baseball. I feel really comfortable with him out there on the mound, as usual. And then Joe Musgrove, of course, coming off his six-inning shutout. Is, he hasn't had a shutout start since before that one, since July 7th. Well, if you're not counting, of course, his, his all-star game. But he hasn't allowed zero runs since July 7th. So th- this is great to have him really get his momentum back after a few tough starts against the Dodgers, the D-backs, the Giants. He's been pitching a little bit worse, but hopefully that he will be able to turn around and this could be the start of just a hot streak for him to end the season going into the playoffs. But yeah, with these three guys, I mean, less as much with Clevenger, but with Musgrove and Snell, I feel very confident with them out here against a tough Cardinals team. Taking advantage of the fact that the Potters have an off day and they can roll out uh, as as best of a three guys as possible. So I, I like it from Melvin. Uh, you're trying to start Manaya as little as possible, but you also got to be weary of the fact that you don't want to start Clevenger against the Dodgers. And by having him start game one here, against the Cardinals. He'll then start later in the series against the Rockies and miss the Dodgers. So I think this ends up working out perfectly. Uh, Bob Melvin masterclass really trying to give the Potters the best shot at winning every game they have for the rest of the season, knowing that it might come down to that final series against San Francisco Giants. And we all remember the last time that happened, 2010, the Potters missed the playoffs. So really don't want that to happen. And selfishly, I will be in San Diego on that Sunday, the third, if the Potters can clinch that day, I will be there because that would be awesome. Uh, not going to get my hopes up, but I mean, it's a realistic possibility. The Potters need to finish that day with a three game lead over the Brewers. It's currently two and a half. So the Brewers have a game on Monday, which is probably when you're going to be listening to this. Uh, it, it, it's certainly possible, but don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. As for the St. Louis Cardinals, going to have to go off of ESPN for this one. Adam Wainwright, Miles Michaelis, and Jack Flaherty are going to be the three guys 
that they're rolling out. Wainwright has been as good as he ever has been. Uh, what else is new? 178 innings, 3.29 ERA, 137 strikeouts. He's not going to try and miss the bats. He's going to try and miss the barrels. He still does a really good job of that. He and Yadier Molina, who, guess what? You're going to hear a lot about. Uh, they broke the all-time battery record, so pitcher and catcher record for consecutive starts. And that's a pretty cool accomplishment that you're going to see Yachty behind the plate. For Wainwright, Michaelis has been really good for them all year, 187 innings. He's been the workhorse for them, 3.46 ERA and 138 strikeouts. Once again, not going to miss the bat, but he's going to miss the barrels. And then Jack Flaherty, who returned from injury last month, 23 innings, 5.09 ERA, and just 17 strikeouts. Really doesn't quite have that same stuff that he had pre-injury because Flaherty was starting to emerge as one of the best pitchers in the National League prior to his injury back in 2020, was injured all of last year, and then was injured for the beginning of the season. Obviously, tough luck, but really hope the Potters can take advantage of the fact that he really hasn't found it yet. Michael, he won't be missing a lot of bats. Same with Adam Wainwright, only 137 strikeouts in 178 innings, but he's been pitching some really, good, really good baseball this year. His last few starts hasn't haven't been that great. His last four starts, he's actually allowed more hits in each of them than innings pitched. He's allowed at eight or nine hits in each of his last four starts. So he's been getting hit pretty hard. Zero home runs in his last six starts, but he's allowing a lot of hits overall. But hopefully the Padres can get to him with home runs. I mean, he's not allowed many home runs at all this year. Fourteen home runs in 178 innings and of course zero over his last six starts. So he's been pitching fine and keeping the ball in the park, but he's been getting hit, hit pretty hard over his last few starts, but his last start five innings, only one run. So he was able to strand a lot of those guys on base. And with Michaelis, you mentioned it, 3.46 ERA. His last few, few starts, he's been looking solid quality start against the Reds, six innings, three runs, two home runs, and then pirates, five innings, eight hits, four runs. So not the best start there, but that was coming off off of a eight inning shut up performance against the Cubs. So he's been looking solid over the last few starts and this entire season, really after a really tough, tough month of August, which with a 5.75 ERA, but that was really just ballooned by one start where he didn't make it past the third inning, allowed 10 runs and 14 hits against the Rockies and Coors, but it's a really bad start that ballooned his ERA there. So if you, I mean, of course every single start counts, but if you take that out, it makes the ERA looking better, of course. And then, with Jack Flaherty, I mean, injuries really derailed him this year. He's been a really fun pitcher to watch so far in his career. But the 26-year-old, what he used to be, I mean, of course, he's been coming off with the injury earlier in the year. He didn't pitch deep in the games at all. He's mostly just pitching two or three innings. But his last three starts, he's gone five innings in each of them, allowed four runs, three runs, and one earned run, respectively, in each of his last three. So hopefully the Padres can get to him. There's a really big chance that that could be the rubber match of the series. So with Flaherty pitching the last one on Wednesday, with Flaherty pitching the last one on Thursday, that's a good chance for the Padres to hit him hard and take the series win. The guys that are going to be coming in behind them in the Cardinals bullpen, it really starts with Ryan Helsley, who's been their closer, but he's not only their closer. He's been kind of the guy that, comes into their high leverage spot. Ollie Marble, their new manager, has done a really good job with him. 1.19 ERA in 60 innings while striking out 88 guys. It's really, really good. Andre Pallante has been the guy that's followed him. Same with Giovanni Gallegos. 103 innings for Pallante. And then 
55 for Gallegos. Both their ERAs are in the low three. And then they got a couple other guys that they like to bring in. Jake Woodford, uh, Packy Naughton. Uh, it's just a good bullpen. It always has been, and it probably always will be because they find the way to get the best out of arms. And you always got to be careful because if you fall behind the Cardinals, chances are you won't catch up. Yeah, and you mentioned that this is a really good bullpen. Ryan Helsley, 60 and a third innings, 88 strikeouts, 1.19 ERA. He's really been one of the best relievers in baseball this year. But yeah, throughout the season, both Helsley and Gallegos have both been the closer, but Helsley has been getting more opportunities, 18 saves compared to Gallegos's. Jake Woodford, I mean, a lot of this guy, the guys in this bullpen have been really good. Zach Thompson, he hasn't pitched as many innings this year, but he's been a really good piece in that bullpen. But yeah, overall, this is a really good starting rotation and bullpen for this team. Of course, the Cardinals have always been a really balanced team from top to bottom. Pigeon staff lineup, which we'll get to in a sec, but this is all just a well-managed, well-coached team that always just seems to do everything right. And as for the lineup, the St. Louis Cardinals, really good lineup. No way around it. Uh, at the top of the lineup, you're going to see some young guys out there. Uh, Tommy Edmond, who, of course, Potter fans have gotten pretty familiar with. Also, a Loja Country Day grad, uh, plays second base. Large Newbar has been pretty solid for them. Uh, playing right field. It's been a little bit of a disappointing season from Dylan Carlson. He'll also play out there, especially with Harrison Bader, who's been traded. Tyler O'Neill currently on the injured list. The outfield It's going to be looking a little funky. Also have Corey Dickerson out there, who Potters fans are pretty familiar with because he's been a veteran for a while, but their infield is super, super good. Uh, they got the best cornered uh, infield duo in the league. Paul Goldschmidt at first was probably going to win NL MVP starting to come down to earth a little bit here as the season ended, which of course you kind of expect with a 34 year old and then Nolan Arenado at third base, who is one of the best players in all baseball, both at the plate and in the field. He's got a 158 OPS plus as well. He and Manny Machado having very comparable seasons, right around 30 home runs, batting average at 300 OPS right around 900. Uh, They're just two of the best in the business. Uh, Andrew Kisner has been a catcher for them a lot because uh, Yadier Molina really can't play every day like he normally can. So you know that you're going to see Yadi catching game number one for Wainwright. You'll probably see him catch game number two and then Kisner catch game number three. That way you're not doing the back-to-back on the day and night. But uh, you'll get Yadi probably for the first two after the off day with Wainwright start on the first one. Paul DeYoung has been playing shortstop for them. They traded Edmundo Sosa, so they don't have to worry about DeYoung, who hasn't been great defensively uh, and, and at the plate. Edmund can also play some short, and uh, they'll play Gorman at second base. So they're going to really try and rotate guys in and out. It, it's a funky team. The Cardinals have so many guys who can do so many things, and that's what makes them so good. And of course, not one of the main pieces on this team, but one guy did forget to mention a man who could make baseball history at Petco this this week. I mean, I obviously yes. don't want I obviously don't want home runs hit against the Padres, but if Pools hits number six ninety nine and seven hundred at Petco this series, I think that'd be awesome to see. It'd be a all time moment at Petco Park. I know it would be against the Padres, but if it's not a close game, if it for if the Padres are up a lot or even down a lot, I would love to see Pools break that record at Petco. That'd just be a great moment to see. But 
yeah, you pretty much mentioned all of it. Great lineup, top to bottom, really balanced. Arenado and Goldschmidt, of course, probably the NL MVP, two of the best hitters in baseball. Goldschmidt with the OPS 10.09. He's just been amazing this year, one of the best hitters in baseball. And then Nolan Arenado, of course, one of the best hitters in the league as well. But yeah, you pretty much mentioned everyone else. Dylan Carlson has been struggling this year. Tommy Edmund has been a solid bat at the plate. And then Yadier Molina, who, I mean, so much respect towards Yadier Molina, but I've heard enough about his catching over that 2020 series where on ESPN where not the best broadcast I've ever seen. Not not a great broadcast yeah. at all, really. But the, the I respect Yadier Molina so much. He's been one of my favorite players to watch growing up. But the amount that I've heard about him, talked about him in that series was too much. So hopefully Padres won't say much this series. Hopefully the Padres will be able to run. I know they're not a big team who runs on the bases anyway, but sorry, back to the lineup. But yeah, Tyler O'Neill has been really struggling this year. Only a 700 OPS. Nolan Gorman hitting 226. Brendan Donovan, third base, hitting 282. Only four home runs, so not, not a big pop guy, but he has been solid at, at the plate this year. Corey Dickerson hitting 284. But a lot of the guys in this lineup have some pop. Ten guys with double-digit home runs, of course. Goldschmidt with 35, Arenado with 29, Pools with 19, and then a few other guys just in the teens. So a lot of guys in this lineup with double-digit home runs, a lot of guys who can't hit the ball out here. So you know, overall, just a really balanced lineup from top to bottom. And again, would love to see Pools break the record at Petco. I know that goes against the Padres, but we'll see what the game situation is like, but I think that'd be an awesome moment. It would be cool. I hope that he gets 69.99 and 700 after they play the Padres. That's just my personal preference. I don't need to see okay. Petco Park in the montages when the Padres are in a playoff chase. If it wasn't a playoff chase, I would say, oh, let's let's go for it because baseball is awesome. Like we're more than just Padre fans, but the Padres are in a playoff chase. It's go- it's going to be a cool. Moment. I'm not going to say, oh no, it happened. What the heck? But I don't want it to happen at Petco, so I actually disagree there. I think sorry, yeah. I do think at St. Louis would be awesome. At, at St. Yeah. Louis, oh, it needs to happen in St. Louis. I mean, I hope it does, actually. I think that Padre fans would probably be standing every time Pujols bats. Most of his at bats have come against left handed pitchers, which unfortunately for Pujols, the Padres maneuvered the rotation so MNI is not pitching. It's just Snell, the left hander, in the second game, and then they'll probably start him another first or DH in the Thursday day game, just because it's a day game trying to get him that home run. I mean, Marble has said like, we're trying to get him to 700, but they also can't try and tax him because the goal for them is to win the world series. That's the only thing the Cardinals ever care about, but they're trying to get it for pools. So I, I would be expecting him to have the day off on Tuesday, just give him the Monday and Tuesday off. And then I think he plays the next two games and he could absolutely do it. He has had a really good career at Petco park. Uh, obviously is on a couple playoff series there, which sucks. Uh, but I, I hope that he doesn't get it because I know that if that happens, it could become a distraction. To the Padres, and that's kind of something that I don't want them to have to deal with. So that's my feelings towards that. Anything else you want to add before we wrap this podcast up? I mean, big series coming up. Obviously, just don't get swept. I mean, I would love to see two out of three. Cardinals are a great team. And Possibly, maybe are better than the Padres, but just win one here, hopefully two. And it, I mean, just the the home stretches stretches coming up, and a lot of home games. Of course, you mentioned the Padres will finish with nine straight at home. So pack the park. I mean, it's I know it's a week. It's a I know it's a weekday series against the Cardinals, but I expect a packed house. 
Oh yeah. Petco Park will be buzzing. Second to last homestand and a potential playoff series preview. If the Padres do end up getting that last wild card spot did move in front of the Phillies with their three wins over the Diamondbacks as the Phillies got swept by the Braves. They have a short little series against the Mets here, and then they have to turn right around or excuse me, that's the Brewers. Uh, but they will be playing the Phillies. That is the Braves later in this upcoming week too. So tough sledding for the Phillies. They, they've got a tough stretch ahead of them. They've now fallen and they're, they're the team that's on the bubble. Obviously the Padres are only a half a game in front of them, but the cushion for the playoff spot has been extended to two and a half games for the Padres over the Brewers. Hopefully they can extend that with a series win over the Cardinals Brewers in New York playing the Mets game on Monday is Corbin Burns versus Max Scherzer, which is such an awesome matchup, but got to be pulling for Max Scherzer and the Mets on that one and for the Padres fans. So on Monday, the lead over the Brewers will either be two games or three games, depending on how the Brewers do, and then three games going out from there. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Devils Talking Padres. Thank you all for tuning in. Make sure to follow or subscribe to Devils Talking Padres on your preferred podcast platform. I'm Dominic Stern. You can find me on Twitter at DMStern19. And you can find Bobby at Bobby Murphy 2000 Thank you all for tuning in. Hope to catch you on a future episode. It'll be coming out on Thursday, uh, hopefully not too late on Thursday, so you can listen to it on Friday leading up to the series in Coors. Last time the Potters had to face the Rockies. And go Padres.